pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu roupien. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome back for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And if this is your first time listening, let me explain to you why my podcast has this amazing name. I'm originally from Portugal, and I've been living in Washington, D.C. for the last nine years. And the name of the podcast refers to two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations. I'll be asking my guests if they've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes. Every episode, I'll have a guest and we'll talk about everything related to food, not necessarily ingredients or dishes, but how through food we can help communities, the success of small business owners, the fascinating stories that we remember growing up with our families sitting around the table, and even which ingredients are overrated and underrated and much more. Don't forget to subscribe to my podcast on all the platforms you have access to. Follow me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes and follow the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. If you want to support this podcast, go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. I hope you have an amazing time listening to every episode. And don't forget I'm Portuguese, so if something doesn't sound exactly right, just pretend that you understand. My guest today was, still is, and always will be hungry, and that's why he's a chef. When he was a child, he spent all of his time in the kitchen because if he, he was in the kitchen, he knew he would be fed. When he was 10, he had the realization that you can make people happy through food. After getting a degree in mechanical engineering because he was trying to please his parents, he focused on hospitality, and after Cornell University, where he got a master's degree in hotel administration, he went abroad to study at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. Author of five cookbooks, he also hosts the food show Simply Ming on PBS. Previously, he featured in shows like East Meets West, Cooking Under Fire, The Next Iron Chef, and Top Chef. Previously owner of the Blue Ginger Restaurant, which was inducted into the Culinary Hall of Fame in 2012, and current owner of the Blue Dragon in the Boston area. He's one of the most influential chefs in the country, especially when it comes to East-West fusion cuisine. He won the Daytime Emmy Award in 1999 for Outstanding Service show host. He was also a 116th generation descendant of Xin Shi Huan, founder of the Xin Dynasty and the first emperor of United China. Ming Tsai, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, David. How are you? I'm good. Great to be here. So two questions. We, we kind of were already talking off the record. Have you been to Portugal? You can tell people now. So Portugal, technically no, but I've been to the Azores, so the beautiful islands there. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember one's called Teixeira, or is that the city? That's the city, I think, yeah. That's the city to share, yeah. A yeah. lovely island. Yeah, I mean, I've never been to the island, so there you go. It is, you can get to Europe in three hours from Boston, right? That's, Nonstop, that's just crazy. Um, mm -hmm. And it's Europe. It's, it's, it's the idyllic blue ocean, red clay roofs, right? The tiles, uh, delicious food, obviously the best from the sea. You're mm -hmm. right there. The seafood is so strong. Uh, and then, uh, not to be unexpected, the people. Just genuinely welcoming you in their home, genuinely want to show off everything Azor. And that bread soup, the fish soup they put the bread in, yeah. delicious, right? Uh, and, and then the vineyards are crazy. Yeah. They had the little, they had, they literally had three by three meter plots of land, lots of them, right? Surrounded by the volcanic rock. Mm -hmm. They hand put there, there's no cement, to protect from the sea winds. So the yeah. sea winds would come in and of course, strong winds, um, but they would protect the vines. Uh, but 
those rocks would be heated during the day. So at night when it got cool, the rocks would keep the vines uh, alive and warm. So it's pretty, pretty great, pretty great place. Do you know any Portuguese words? Ah, fala pouquinho português. Si. Oh, this is look at you. Okay, pouquinho, we can, pouquinho. We can do this in Portuguese then. No, okay. no, 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 obrigado. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a very short interview. <laughs> Would be, so, we'd be done, actually. <laughs> so growing up, uh, do you remember or do you have any fascinating or funny stories about food? Oh, my God. What chef doesn't, right? Um, I, I, my, my childhood was very sad. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Mine was really sad, so I don't have I'm, one. <laughs> unlike my buddy Ken Oranger, who you may know and love as well, one of our best chefs in this country, he learned to cook because his parents could not cook. So that's one motivation to learn to cook. Yeah. Maybe, that, maybe you're in that camp. Yeah, I tried to say I was family. blessed yeah. to have not only parents, but grandparents that, that cook, not only cook, but cooked well. So disaster stories, oh my God, this, there, there's so many great stories. I mean, I'll start with my kid's story that we used to, um, I grew up in Dayton, Ohio. My dad was chief science of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, designed the B-1 bomber and things like that. So he literally is a rocket scientist. This is just a podcast, right? So all my hand motions don't matter, but you can yeah, see no, them. Yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> That's okay. You should do a podcast right next time. Same thing. At least then you can see if, you know, you can see if I'm on a beach or not. I'm not on a beach. Um, Isn't that the ocean and, behind you? Okay. I thought there was yeah, the ocean no, behind not, you. No, okay. no, that is not. That is a wall. <laughs> um, so we, we, we used to always do a lot of um, catering in Dayton, Ohio. It was a great way to statute of limitations apply. A great way to make money under the table cash, right? And, and my parents are good cooks. And my dad, again, being a scientist, he could jerry-rig these cheap grills that would be like 59, this is a long time ago, 59 bucks. He would take out the burner, which would be like 8,000 BTU burner, which is just nothing. Go to a junkyard, buy a real wok burner, put that in. Now we have an 80,000 BTU burner. And he set up three of these, one for a fryer. We literally take a big, the inside of a fryer of a real fryer. Again, bought it at a junkyard. That's our fryer. We get two steel plates to put on top of the other two. We could do Mongolian beef in like 50 seconds because everything's prepped and ready to go. We've done catering jobs for up to 1,000 people, the six of us, my parents, mm -hmm. brother, and grandparents. Um, and <laughs> I remember once we did a 10,000 egg roll event at the convention center. And our ping pong table, we literally had every Chinese friend in Dayton. So we were Chinatown at the time, right? We had like 18 Chinese. Yeah. That was all the Chinese in Dayton. And we would roll sprinkles on the ping pong table and have 10,000 at a time. And the thought, the, the thought I love is my grandfather, my yeah, yeah, he was the cashier. That's a dollar spring roll. And people would throw the money at him and he'd get four bucks back. And he was just loving it. Plus we had at the International Festival, the Heineken truck next to us. And I somehow bartered at age 13 to get two Heinekens for one spring roll. It was a great call. And by, you know, by 4 p.m., my grandfather was totally schloss, which is loving life. <laughs> he loved money being thrown at him. So I remember that. Uh, how do you think Chinese culture has shaped Chinese food or vice versa? How has Chinese food shaped Chinese culture? And how does that compare to the United States? Uh, great question. Um, I don't think you can separate them. I don't think one influenced the other. I think Chinese food is, is Chinese culture. Right, they, they are one and the same. Everything growing up in my household, obviously, my parents, uh, just for the record, I'm 100% Chinese. Both my parents are born in Beijing. I was born in Newport Beach, which is exactly not China, so I'm American, mm -hmm. but Chinese American. But in a Chinese household, everything happened, everything happened around the dining table. So we would sit down at the dining table, we would always eat at five o'clock sharp. Not only was, you know, 
the grades and teachers and boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it was, and politics, everything was discussed at the table. But then everything else was discussed for the next day at that same table. The first, of course, probably the same in your family. What are we going to eat next? Right. Mm-hmm. As we're still enjoying yeah, the current dinner, what are we going to eat yes. next? We're already thinking about the next meal. But then that involved so much. Then who's going to go shopping? Who's the prep? Blah, blah, blah. So that, that became the agenda. But then all the other problems of the world, if something happened, you know, the, the lunar landing or anything, something good happening or bad happening, always happened at the table. Mm-hmm. So the glue of society, I think, in China for sure, and lots of European uh, countries as well, is, is food, is bringing people together. And, and I said this pre-COVID, that it, what America needs is people coming to the dinner table more often, period. And not just your family, your neighbors, right? And we're talking about this whole Black Lives Matter, and I'm going to talk a little bit about that as well. We have to share a bowl of rice, break bread. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter if it's rice or bread, right? Yeah. Rice is gluten-free, for the record. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but there is good gluten-free bread. Yeah. We need to bring that together. And now with COVID, it's happened, but it's happened so insular, right? It's only been your family or maybe that one family you're quarantined with. So we're really getting it. And that's, I can say one of, the, one, of the, one of the positives that has come out of COVID is I have an 18 and 20-year-old son. They would have never spent 12 weeks with mom and dad in a house, yeah. right? So that time is time I'll never get back. And mm-hmm. that time I actually cherish because that, that is just such a great it was just, you just never get to spend kids that much time with your kids. And yeah. horrible reason why we had to do it. But the one thing we did do, by the way, is cook, cook, mm-hmm. and cook. And, uh, but yeah, I, think it's, I don't think in an Italian culture, Jewish culture, all cultures, you can't separate food from. It is the center of all activities. Uh, it's the center. It's the heart. It's, you know, literally, literally is where the fire of your home is, right? Yeah. And uh, um, I could not, I just could not imagine if you, took, if you took food away from my life, I wouldn't have a life. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't. So yeah. that's the- Why do you think Americans love Asian food so much? I think, I mean, bluntly, Chinese food is the best food in the world. Just, so, okay. Just like that. <laughs> having Just said like that, that. Okay. I mean, it has the most variety. Uh, and there's a lot of people who push back on that. that does, there's no right or wrong here, right? But the longevity of Chinese food. And once you understand, everyone says it's so prep intensive, I don't have time to do it. You actually do. You either prep at the beginning or you prep at the end. We slice our steak at the beginning. You slice your steak on your plate at the end, right? So it's the same prep. <laughs> yeah. So once you get past that, the Asian diet is so important for longevity. High veg, as much veg as you can possibly eat. Try to do more brown rice than white rice, right? That's the one thing about Asian cuisine. White rice is, you know, it's like white bread, right? It's for for diabetics um, and et cetera, high high sugar. But high veg and meat and seafood used as flavoring. So that same ribeye steak I was talking about, that would feed 10 people really well in a Chinese dish. And that would feed one person in America. So I do think there's been a push. And you know how many hundreds of billions have been spent on diets. There aren't diets in other cultures. It's just the way they eat. We call it the Mediterranean diet. They call it diet. They call it food. They call it That's food. They, yeah. right? they don't think about it. They have olive oil and veg. And the Mediterranean diet is also incredibly great, right? I mean, olive mm-hmm. oil is so good for you. But again, that's really high veg, and they're eating fresh seafood, right? Um, I'm not going to say beef and meat is, is uh, the devil and it's horrible because I do enjoy steak probably like once a month, right? I'm not anti-steak. But... But if you really sit back and think how much better you feel when you eat more veg, your body, think about the world, the environment, which is important, 
you are what you eat. I've said this since day one. With that in mind, I've, I've developed something called Ming's Bings. It's a vegan, vegetarian, veggie-filled patty. Has all the great vegetables in the world. The shiitake immune system is perfect for immune-enhancing watercress and pepitas and soybeans. Vegan. It's gluten-free. And this we're going to start selling at Whole Foods as well. And that I'm so excited about because it's also good for your soul. Because some proceeds, like Paul Newman's form, that will benefit both Dana-Farber, the best cancer research hospital in this country, mm-hmm. if not the world, and Family Reach, which is a great charity. I'm the chairman, probably the chairman of their advisory board. We financially help families with cancer. Yep. So a great way to give back. And since I'm on the give back, if I, you, can't, you can see this, but no one, can, no I one can, else. I can see I've it. developed this bracelet with Chef George. It says herd. Yeah. H-E-A-R-D, herd. That's what Which, chefs if you're in the, the kitchen, kitchen right? yeah. mm-hmm. it's like five, two, six, herd. Yeah. It's the we chef, right? In mm-hmm. France, I said we, we chef. In this country, they say herd chef. Mm-hmm. Herd also is very important because right now, after Floyd's murder and all the other black lives that have been murdered, there is, thank God, not just a movement, but, a, but hopefully a permanent resurgence of, of what needs to be done right. And when this thing all happened, you know, anyone that's not black, including you and I, you know, we'd be like, oh, I'm not racist. That's not enough. You can't just be not racist. You have to be anti-racist, mm-hmm. right? You have to stand up for, stand up against anyone that is racist. You have to be anti-racist. And then to be anti-racist, I realized that, you know what? I'm not black. So I have to listen first. I have to listen to the black community. What do they need? What do they want? And if you listen really well, you have then heard what they're saying. So you've understood. So I'm actually just partnered with the James Beard Foundation. They're, they're starting a great new charity. That's, it's the, it's a um, foundation of investment for black and indigenous chef restaurant owners. Mm-hmm. And we're going to start selling these bracelets uh, next, uh, in two weeks to raise money for this new, this new foundation um, because you have to hear and understand, right? Yeah. And then, so people say, well, what do you do? Well, you have to do action. You have to do something, and that could be peaceful marching, which a lot of people have done, or it could be raising money in some way, shape, or form, right? We've seen lemonade stands raise hundreds of millions of dollars, right? So anyone can do it. You can sell cookies. Anyone can start to raise money. You know, look at Jose Andres, our hero of heroes. Yeah, he does an amazing job. He's met over 20 million Americans. He's an immigrant. Just think of the irony of that, right? Uh, a proud American, sworn in by Sotomayor, one of the most amazing things that could possibly happen to a human being, and he deserves it. But talk about his kindness curve. Mm-hmm. And as chefs, we have a responsibility because we have a métier, we have a skill set to provide food. Yeah. Right? Other people can provide money doing fundraisers or, of course, healthcare workers, right? Their skill set. People have been sewing masks. I mean, there's so many excuses. Oh, I don't have time. Everyone has time right now. Mm-hmm. Albert uh, Adria, so Fran Adria's brother, yeah. mm-hmm. who really truly is the genius of El Bui and everything. And his motto, shut up and work. I'm like, oh my God, that's such a good motto. <laughs> because it's worked for me for many years. Yeah. Shut up. And every chef in Spain and the chef set that know Albert just say like, he's probably the best cook's cook in the world today. Mm-hmm. Literally. Um, I've never had his food. I, I can't wait to travel again and go have his food. One of my best friends actually was his sous chef at, at his uh, restaurant. Tickets. Yeah. Tickets? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. God, I can't wait to go to Tickets. How yeah. cool is yeah. that restaurant? Uh, oh, small God. world, but yeah. Literally, it's a Disney world for us, us chefs. It, it is true. What, what's the biggest difference between Chinese foods in the US and Chinese food from China? 
Okay, so this is this is a very it's a great question, and there's there's many answers. So the best Chinese food in the world in one location is actually Hong Kong, and people don't realize that. Why? Because of course Hong Kong is very strong Cantonese style food, right? Seafood, all that. They're Hong Kong, right? Guangzhou, Canton is right there. But because it's the metropolis, it is. It has one of the best Peking ducks in China. It has some of the best Sichuan food and Hunan food and Nonya. It has all the varieties. Um, so for China, that is absolutely the best. Singapore is a really close second, right? Because Singapore, of course, has many other styles of food, but their Chinese food is quite good as well. If you go to Vancouver Chinatown and certain restaurants, LA, San Francisco, New York, uh, that Chinese food at times can be even better than the Chinese food in China. Mm -hmm. Why? Our ingredients are better, right? They can get the, 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 the meat quality is better. Um, and it's the same chef. The chef just flies over. Mm -hmm. So if you have the artist, it's much harder to make a, you know, a DRC, right? A Pinot Noir. You mm -hmm. can bring the winemaker over, but the terroir and everything, there's so many other variables. Here, it's the same wok. The wok can be made in China, for crying out loud, right? You can yeah. literally get every single ingredient, spice, spice, fermented black beans, you know, crispy chili. You can get it all with higher quality veg and higher quality proteins. So you can have amazing, I mean, Vancouver's one of the best Chinese food I've ever had in my life, bar none, right? So if you go to those authentic Chinese restaurants that are not Chinese food for everything. By the way, if any restaurant says Chinese, Thai, Japanese, move on. <laughs> I've yet to meet a chef that could do those, all those cuisines really well, yeah. right? Just move on. Just pick your lane. You can't mm -hmm. be Chinese, Thai, Japanese. Anyway, but China, the good Chinese restaurants are specifically Hunan, you know, Sichuan, Chengdu, right? It's specific because that's what the chef cooks, right? Mm -hmm. You can't really cook. If it's a chef-driven restaurant, you can only cook what the chef knows how to cook. So Chinese cuisine is usually that region. Um, bad Chinese food in this country, oh, and I'm not going to name the, the chains and whatnot, is, is worse than bad Chinese food in China, for mm -hmm. sure. So I hear all the time, it just infuriates me, when people go to Beijing and Shanghai and they said the Chinese food is horrible. My first question is, were you on a bus? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a tour group going to white, not I shouldn't say white, that's wrong these days, but uh, tourist Chinese restaurants. Yeah. That's not going to be Chinese food. That's mm -hmm. going to be Chinese food catered to the tourists. And that's why it's bad, right? What you have to do, well, how do you do it? I don't speak Chinese. Just find, talk to the local bartender in your hotel and say, dude, where do you go to eat? Find out where the people that work in the hotel eat. Where they eat is where you want to eat. Exactly. And so do me a favor, and they'll do it because you're going to tip them. Can you call them and make a reservation for me? Because it's really hard to call these little restaurants, right? Let them do that. Yep. You tip them 20 bucks, you show up, uh, Tom and Lisa Jones, and then you have an authentic Chinese. Yep. So that's why that question is so hard to answer because there's really awesome Chinese food in America, and there's really bad. And, and there's really not bad Chinese food in China except okay. the tourist restaurants yeah, because <laughs> they're trying to Americanize it. Uh -huh. you know, try to, it's like Italian-American. No, true Italian food is ethereal. It's a little different. American-Italian, like why? Yeah. No, I mean, I get it. When people like, I, I, I was just asked on Twitter or, or Facebook, you know, can I get an egg foo young recipe? And I'm not offended by that because it's a, it's a true dish. It, we had it at Chop Suey Carryout in Dayton, Ohio, so I did grow up eating it. Mm -hmm. And you know, a fortune cookie, that's not Chinese either, right? That was invented here in Brooklyn. So yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, but, so my point is, depending on where you go, mm -hmm. 
you can get great or bad. And the best is just ask locals. Yeah. Always ask locals. Always ask not your concierge. Concierge get kickbacks. The taxi driver, all these people. Yeah, people that, yeah, taxi. that's what I should ask. Yeah. Bartenders. Bartenders. Because you got them for 20 minutes and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I also thought of the best place for Xiaolong Ball, right? Yeah. And like snack alley behind the Four Seasons in Shanghai. It's great because you go there and it's mostly all Chinese and no tourists. Mm -hmm. that, that's the place, right? I always say, walk into a Mexican restaurant, make sure you, you're the only gringo. You're in a great restaurant, right? <laughs> walk into a Chinese restaurant, make sure they're all Chinese. And you don't have to speak Chinese because you got a finger. You point. Can I get that? And that looks good. And that and that. Boom, mm -hmm. you just ordered. That's so don't, there's all the excuses why you can't, but there's the reason you should. Yeah. So you are a very, very positive person. Uh, all the interviews that I heard, and it's one of the reasons I wanted you to have on. In this current situation with COVID, how do you deal with that on a personal level and also with your restaurant, Blue Dragon? Yeah. So no, thank you for that. Yeah. I mean, you have to. I'm definitely a half, uh, a glass half full, right? Mm -hmm. it's, you, I deal with it by, it's always been my life philosophy. I live one day at a time. I really do. I know it sounds cliche, but, but I do. A couple of things I definitely do. You have to get exercise. That's walk two miles a day. That's just yoga indoors. Um, I, I try to meditate, meditate twice a day. I usually get once. 10 minute meditation. It's the hardest thing in the world to do. To sit still and calm your mind, right? So important. So important mm -hmm. every day, but during COVID, much more important because you have to eventually realize, okay, these are the great things going on in my life. I have my health. I have my family. I have a roof over my head. Start there. That's yeah. already better than probably 70% of this world. Yeah. Just those three things. Oh, yeah. And I have food. Boy, now I'm in the top 90%, right? I mean, basics. And that's what COVID has done. It's stripped away everything, right? It's stripped away everything. And if you didn't have those bases, you really feel it now, right? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's family and that's friends, right? That, that's the most basic. So I always think about, and I say it on, on my hashtag all the time, attitude of gratitude and be kind. You have to be kind. And, you know, I do all this work with family reach. I've raised probably, I've raised over, not probably, I've raised over $8 million for these guys in 10 years. And I thank family reach. I thank the families for giving me the opportunity to be able to help them, right? You feel a thousand times better when you give than when you receive. Yeah. And especially now, so many people, I did not sleep for four weeks, literally. I was just, I could not sleep. Why? Because bluntly, half of my restaurant at Blue Dragon are immigrants. And unfortunately, in this country, because our immigration policy is broken, they're illegal immigrants. Mm -hmm. So when this thing hits, their last paycheck was from me. And one had a three-month-old, and one had two parents living with them, and they all live in East Boston in really tight quarters. And they were off the grid, under the radar, got no money. And so I, I, the reason I took the loan, the only reason I took the loan, because we did, we did to go food, we did less than 10%. We're in a business place, so it just doesn't work. You can't sustain. I took the loan to pay these guys as long as I could. So I paid them through May 30th. And so three months, I paid them full. Um, and that's absolutely sustained them. But now that's done. I can't keep sustaining 30 employees. I just can't. And, mm -hmm. and that's, that, that is when I would never feel sorry for myself, right? Because I already have the basics covered. They don't have rent covered. And mm -hmm. once you're homeless in this country, you are in a system that you can't get out. So you became a food allergy advocate who promotes yep. awareness of food allergens because one of your sons has food allergies. What's your opinion on food allergies? 
Are you yeah, sure? I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's it's. There's a lot of great stories here. No, I was just going to ask, what's your opinion on food allergies? Are we yep. just more aware of them as a society now, or do you believe they are becoming more common? And if so, for what oh, yeah. reason? So there definitely are more food allergies than before, hundred uh, percent. And and I don't I don't know scientifically if this is accurate, but I imagine this is. There's so many more food allergies in the United States than any other country in the world. Mm-hmm. Why? We're too clean as a society, right? Now we're super clean with the pure yeah, super clean, stuff, yeah. right? No one builds up an immune system. No one grows up on a farm. I always say, if you have a kid, what can you do to help prevent food allergies? Roll your kid in cow manure, literally. Let them eat dirt and get dirty and like put some manure in their mouth. Build an yeah. immune system, right? That's job. In America, we overprocess our food. There's a lot of processed food, and we have this thing called GMO, right? I think it's created here, and mm-hmm. that's probably not. Again, I'm not a scientist, but you're genetically modifying something. I'm not supposed. To, I'm not sure we were supposed to be doing that. Yeah. So that and being too clean, and we overprescribe antibiotics. Any kid has a cough, boom, antibiotic, antibiotic. When you, what's an antibiotic do? It wipes out your billions of flora and wipes out your complete immune system. And that's why we have so many more allergies. And food allergies are definitely on the rise. Mm-hmm. The good news is, is there are now therapies and some cures. My son was born with life-threatening food allergies, to soy, wheat, dairy, self-penis, peanut sex, all seven of the eight. He's been cured. Uh, you can go to Allergy Art, A-R-T. It's called the Allergy Release Technique. Uh, it's one lady, Amy Tieringer. She's awesome. She's a therapist. And, but, you know, she, it's done with energy, to be honest. Um, and if you believe... It works. It took David five years, once a week at age five to age 10. And he got through all his allergies, peanut being the last one. You need what we call the Bible, the food allergy manual. You go to ming.com. You can download the sheet. It's an allergy sheet. It just lists by component what's in the dish, not a recipe, but you want to know what's in the marinade for the meat and starch one, starch two, veg one, veg two, sauce one, sauce two, and garnish. So there may be shellfish in the dish, but it's only because the parsnips were fried in the fryer that had shellfish. You can eat the whole dish, just no parsnips. Yep. So that's why you break it by components and you highlight, you highlight the allergens. It's not that hard. And once you, once you get it into your system, it's actually quite easy. What was your first memory of taste? Wow. I don't know if I've been asked that. That's a pretty good question. Well, that's why I'm here, I mean, for you. Yeah, okay? no. yeah. First taste. Wow. <sighs> Probably rice. Yeah. Probably rice because... I, I do remember it's always on the, you know, my table, right? The high chair. There's always rice. I remember just grabbing rice. Just picking, I remember, yeah. I mean, talk about childhood smell, right? Your olfactory system, right? Your nose remembers everything. It's just, it's not a very pungent smell, right? Like garlic and croissants baking, right? But steamed rice in a rice cooker, it has that, to me, I mean, just talk about the smell of home for me. Yeah. And it's probably the most... Yeah. I mean, I, I say it all the time. Like my day is not complete without a bowl of rice to this day. And I always, I always get a bowl of rice some way, shape or form. Rice Krispies treats don't count by the way. <laughs> FYI. Uh, most underrated ingredient for you. Hmm. Probably celery or cucumber. Okay. Right. Celery is the most disdained. What do you need celery for? Oh my God. Celery. You can do so much with mm-hmm. just the juice alone. Just juice celery and make a sauce. Just re- reduce it and Montreal burr. You kidding me? A, a freaking dash of lemon juice. That's so good. Yeah. Right? Celery soup. Yeah. People people think celery is basically crudite and mirepoix. That's it. And that's <laughs> it. Yeah. But no. Yeah. And cucumbers got a little more exotic because they get thrown into tzatziki and stuff. So yeah, I think celery. 
Overrated. <sighs> Horribly overused white truffle oil. Horribly overused. Overrated? Um, wow, that's a really good one. Thank you, Ming. Again, I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> wow, most overrated. <sighs> Maybe. I haven't done it. I've not spent over $250 on a bottle of olive oil. So I, can't, I have no point of reference. I can't say that $400 bottle is overrated because I've never had it. So okay. that's not a fair assessment. You know, I, have to, I have to really think about this one. Um, okay, so next week at 10 a.m. again, we meet. <laughs> no, we'll, you text I'll have me. the answer by the end. No, interview. I'm joking. Yeah. Uh, you don't have I me. Mean, it's, it's, this is the questions I always say, the lighthearted yeah, questions. Yeah, it's a good so. one. What is yours? Um, lobster. Overrated lobster. Yeah, lobster and beets. I re- but I really don't like I, I really don't like beets. You said beets? Yeah, I, but I don't like beets. Uh, but I think lobster for the price, it just does, I don't get the excitement. Huh. That's for me. What's the best breakfast you can have? Ah, good one. Um, I love savory. I'm a huge savory. Um, if I can order it and I'm in the right hotel, Japanese breakfast. Right, so traveling in Asia, mm-hmm. um, or you may be at the Mandarin Oriental. I love having miso soup and rice and salmon and pickles, all that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, please, bro. What is the strangest combination some people might do it that you just cannot accept food wise? They put two, three things. Oh my ahead. God. There's a chef not to be named that did chocolate and caviar. Oh, wait. And, and she said, Oh my God. Okay, maybe. I, the way she did it, no. And she okay. exclaimed it was umami. I'm like, It's not umami. Awesome. He said he was a female chef. And really good chef. Yeah, you can narrow okay, it down. No, 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 actually, this was a very, it's, it's someone, I, I had an interview with a pastry chef, and he, but he, in his case, he worked for him. Uh, and he tried, I mean, people are going to listen, but he, What did he do, though, to make uh, it work? It was at the Fat Duck, and it was white chocolate with caviar. And okay, white like, chocolate is different. White chocolate doesn't have the depth of yeah. dark chocolate. And white chocolate's like sweetened butter. Yeah. It's not even chocolate, right? <laughs> that, that I could see. I've had That's white truffle butter, ice cream yeah. with pineapple. That was, Paul Connors did that. That was amazing. Okay. So I'm so, not against savory and sweet. I mean, but, come on. Of course, you prefer to sell on, on yeah. chocolate. So chocolate coffee. Okay. So the name of the podcast is Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Turning, those are two Portuguese phrases. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience. And breaking dishes means someone that exceeded all expectations. Have you been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? <laughs> <laughs> you got to explain that to me one more time there, David. Say sure, it again. Sure, absolutely. Turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience, and breaking dishes means someone that exceeded all expectations. Oh, which one am I? Yeah. Do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes? Or both? Uh, that's very good. Thank you. I told you we'd love this interview. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I know I've been very blessed, but I, I, I guess I've exceeded expectations, you know, okay. but, but, I exceeded my own expectations because I didn't realize I didn't realize that being a chef would be so much more than making food, right? It, it's it is your life, right? It's like a doctor. Once you're a chef, you know, even I close all my restaurants, I'm still a chef. I will always be a chef. And and I do think the greatest power of a chef is what we've been talking about, the ability to give back. Yeah. Right. We have a platform. We have a way of doing it. Um and and there is no, and I'm not an artist. There are some artist chefs, right? We know Ferran Adria, Jose Andres, Grant Akes, Thomas Geller. They're artists, true, mm-hmm. and craftsmen. I'm just a craftsman, and I'm proud of that, right? But 
There is no other craft that you actually can make someone happy immediately by putting it into their body, right? Music you hear, art you see, this you see, you hear, you smell, and you put it into your body. Yeah. That, that's, it's, it's even better than, you know, everyone has great, great professions. Doctors save lives, and that's just so honorable. But the ability to be able to change someone on a bite is, mm -hmm. is the joy of being a chef. So this, this part we call sell your fish, which is the last part. In Portugal, if someone tells you to sell your fish, that means to talk about yourself. What's in the future for you? Uh, you know, what people can expect. I've already done that. I've already sold you a lot of fish. Yeah, what's next for you uh, or what you can tell us? So I, as I mentioned, these Ming's Bings, I'm very excited about this. It's a CPG, Consumer Products Good, and I've been working on this. It's ironically the timing, two and a half months before COVID hit. I started this company called Ming's Bings, and it's a it's a veggie filled patty, and we've already I already have dealt two other flavors with it, and it's just a convenient way for under two bucks that anyone can just put in a toast of or pan sear and have good protein, good nutrition, smart fat, and um, be vegan. So good for the mind, body, and soul. So that I'm very excited about, and it's something that that has legs, right? The restaurant industry for the next two years, it's going to be tough. Mm -hmm. It's going to be hit or miss. I mean. If you have the right concept and you already have an amazing delivery program or you have, you could be, or you're just some of the top people in the country, like Grand Akez, I think is doing just fine, right? They're selling, you know, 1,500 to 2,000 of these meals out and they pivoted well. They opened a linea on a rooftop, right? Um, so you can do it. You can, you can make a run of it. But the statistic that is in everyone's head, and I just retweeted and Instagrammed it out, is, is the independent restaurants. 85% of us may be gone. At the yeah. end of the COVID, eighty-five mm percent -hmm. of all mom and pops. Just think about that number. Yeah. Just you're going to be left with chains and some really great restaurants, and that's it. It's just unfathomable, and it's so sad because it's not just it's not just a chef owner goes out of business, which is incredibly sad. If you're a chef owner, it's the people, your mm -hmm. family, that just can't go to another restaurant. Nine Eleven, you just moved out of New York and you got a job somewhere else, yeah. right? I don't want to say it's easy, yeah. but there's an option. These people that have a skill set of prep cooking or, or being line cooks or dishwashing, you can't say, just, just, oh, just start teaching online. No, they don't speak English. They don't have a computer. They, they don't know how to cook. That's all they know how to do. Yeah. And they can't go to another restaurant because they're all being closed. That's, that's going to happen if this happens. And, yeah. and I don't realize if anybody realizes the gravity of that, mm -hmm. right? Again, I am a positive person, but I'm also a realist. Yeah, I'm realist that we have to make a difference now. We have to get funding to make sure this incredible tsunami doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. It's just in the domino effect. You've heard it, right? The, yeah. the fisheries, the farmers, the linen people, on and on and on and on. I mean, it's affecting hundreds of millions of people, not just the restaurant industry. That's true. Right? It's just, it's just great. I mean, who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have thought that you could destroy an industry literally overnight? Mm -hmm. I mean, this was a pleasure. I know uh, you are you're a busy guy, so I really appreciate Thank it. You. If you ever remember your overrated ingredient, just text me and I'll just fill it in, okay, uh, for you. <laughs> uh, this was a pleasure. I really appreciate it. And I hope we can talk again very soon. Thank you. I think my overrated ingredient is someone graduates from culinary school and they apply a sous chef. Okay. That's overrated. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, Ming. All right. Take care, man. It's a real pleasure. Muito obrigado. Nada. Thank you. Ciao.
Thank you very much for listening to the episode. I want to thank all of you for the comments and reviews. And for those that haven't done that, please, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave a review, ideally five stars. Tell your friends all about the chickens we are turning and the dishes we are breaking. Periodically, I'll have the Embassy Chef's Corner feature. So if you want to leave me a question or comment, you can send me an email at info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com or find me on Instagram at Turning Chickens Breaking Dishes, on the Facebook page Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. And if you want to support this amazing podcast, you can go to anchor.fm slash david-martins. See you next time. Adios.